it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Well, almost Brian Kilmeade. This is Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Brian. Brian's on his way to the Super Bowl. Uh, Going to be one of the best Super Bowls I think we've ever had. Kansas City Chiefs, uh, Philadelphia Eagles, that's going to be an epic game. Uh, Great quarterbacks, great coaches, uh, tenacious teams. I'm just looking forward to a great, great game, and Brian's going to be there. Um, And so I'm sure he's just settling into his first-class seat there and uh, taking a little nap uh, as he uh, gets gets down to – to the Super Bowl. So I'm filling in for him. I used to serve in the United States Congress once upon a time. I was chairman of the Oversight Committee. Now I'm a, a Fox News contributor. And uh, my name is Jason Chaffetz, by the way. So, uh, But we're looking forward to having a good show and uh, excited to have some guests who have really got some experience. And one of them, I'm just thrilled to have, uh, is on the line with us right now. It's uh, the former senator from Massachusetts, the former ambassador to New Zealand, uh, Scott Brown. So, Senator, Ambassador, thanks for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, it's great to speak with you, and congratulations on on everything you're doing. And, by the way, you're talking to a season ticket holder from 1994 for the New England Patriots. I will say that the Atlanta Falcons-Patriots game was probably the best from 28 to 3. So just saying, I don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers, but I am looking forward to uh, to the game, and I'm, I'm I'm going with the Chiefs. I love Mahomes. He's, a, he's just a great guy and a great athlete, but two super teams. It'll be wonderful to watch. No, yeah, good teams, good coaches. Uh, I'm pretty partial to Andy Reid. He's got some connections to those of us out here in, in Utah, and um, but I, it's just going to be a great game. I hope so. And uh, I don't think it'll be a blowout like the national championship game in, in uh, college uh, football. But uh, it will be good. But, hey, you've seen some epic games uh, there at the Patriots. But we're going to talk a little bit about politics, if you don't mind. Um, no. Hey, you, I got a beef with you, by the way. I, I don't know if you know this. Who doesn't? But, well, look, I served in the House. You were in the Senate. And when we go into the State of the Union, you guys were always got the, like, saved front row seats. <laughs> and I always told this, I was joking with the speaker, I'm like, hey, it's our house. Why don't we sit up front and let them sit in the back once? But, you know. Well, well the reason is, is that, you know, we're guests in your house and you treat your guests, you know, a little better than you treat your own. And uh, but, yeah, I don't care. I think it would have been good to put the senators in the back for once and see how they uh, listen, feel. I'll sit anywhere. It was an honor to serve. But, <laughs> but I'll tell you what, you, you and I have been to a, a few of these, and uh, sadly it was kind of the same old, same old, uh, you know, more more spending, more taxing, uh, you know, talking about resort fees and uh, taxing our energy companies and, and uh, wanting to destroy our tech industry when we, it took an hour to mention the fact that we have a, a – 
Chinese spy uh, uh, balloon traversing our country freely with no intercept, no nothing, no put a hole in it, capture the whole thing intact. It, it's just a joke, and it's, it's very serious. And while people were drinking their coffee, you know, and they're looking up at this balloon for, you know, just going across the country, and, and the president's doing nothing. It, it's, it's very scary, and, and, and President Xi is watching this stuff. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was pathetic in its response. You know, one parallel that nobody's really drawn here is uh, when I was in Congress and I was the chair, uh, we had this guy in an ultralight. Remember he was? Oh, yeah, he, I remember. Yeah, I was he, there. And he, yep. he came into the to the Washington, D.C. zone. He basically came in close to the Pentagon in the White House, made a left-hand turn, and then decided to land this thing on the, the steps of the Capitol. And, and the reality of it is they had trouble seeing him and determining whether or not this was an object. Now, they could have come clean on that and said, hey, look, we have t- trouble seeing this type of thing. But that's not what they, has been said about this. And you would think that when that happened, that maybe we should have the technology in order to determine. Because at the, when it, they look at it on a radar, it kind of looks like a flock of birds. And so they were having difficulty, but... The president did not instill confidence that the military knows what it's doing. And I still don't understand why they didn't shoot it down when it was off the coast of Alaska. That's when they should have been detected. Yeah, they they should have. And listen, you can't tell me there's not a mechanism to basically neutralize it and potentially bring it down at a slower rate either and capture all the information and deny yeah. them the information that they've been receiving. Uh, it's just a, it's just a comedy of errors. You know, as, as we know, uh, you know, president Biden's been wrong on almost every major national security issue. And it's just a sign of weakness. And, and we have to, we have to get past. And I, I find it interesting watching, uh, watching him, obviously, you know, really at the border, uh, really not, ta- uh, you know, demonizing our energy producers, demonizing our high tech industry. Yet, and yet you have an 80 year old president and then you have the response from a 40 year old governor. Uh, and I think that's going to be the message is past versus the future uh, moving forward. And, and I'm looking forward to doing what we have. We call them the no BS, Scott Brown, no BS backyard barbecues. we last cycle we had 16 of the 18 presidential candidates to my house and uh had new new hampshire mass vermont main people come and grill these candidates so i'm glad the republicans hampshire which uh, we we have a history of vetting out candidates really well yeah no look there's some very viable people out there um everybody from governor desantis and senator uh tim scott out of south south carolina nikki haley also is south carolina the former governor there, of course, and, and working uh, as the ambassador to the U.N. You got uh, potentially um, Christy Nome out of South Carolina or uh, South Dakota. And you're right. They, they, they're a whole new generation compared to a very uh, older, almost senile, if you will, you know, President Biden. And the generation that he represents, we're grateful for that generation. But, you know, if you won't let the guy even fly a plane, maybe he shouldn't be flying the country. Well, you know, more importantly, I mean, I had trouble even, you know, listening to what he was saying. Some of his words were jumbled. I mean, he's teleprompter. Without the teleprompter, he, he he's, you know, he's he's done. And he's so closely handled. I just wish the media would just do their job. Just cover it. Just tell, yeah. it how, tell us how it is. Don't protect them. You know, let's sink or swim. This is the president of the United States and some of the things, the history over the last two plus years. It's, it's scary. And, and everybody's watching. 
And then, you know, to, to, to tote this bill by Amy Klobuchar, obviously, uh, that Robert O'Brien, uh, Larry Summers, former Clinton Treasury Secretary, and, and many others are saying, hey, listen, this would this would force us to basically hamper our innovators, uh, not only the large ones, but the up-and-coming ones. But more importantly, they would uh, champagne corks would be co- uh, popping with WeChat, uh, ByteDance and other Chinese tech companies, as President Xi is is basically empowering these tech companies over there. We're trying to, you know, we, we have the number one industry, and in this president and and Amy Klobuchar and, and respectfully and sadly, a couple of Republicans who I think are misguided are trying to give away the the advantage of one of the biggest ener- uh, uh, job creators, and it's just wrong, and yeah. especially with inflation out of control still for 19 months. Yeah, it's it is such a mess there and dysfunctional. And you know, look, the Democrats have to answer these questions themselves. Um, I think one of the more interesting questions is going to happen later today. I'd love to get your take on this. Over in the House, they're going to vote on House Resolution 104, which is uh, condemning the Chinese Communist Party's use of a high-altitude surveillance balloon over the United States territory as a brazen violation of United States sovereignty. I don't know. Democrats will go all one direction or another, and I don't know what they're going to do on this one. Do you have any idea? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't know either. It's, this, this is clear that you know they, they, they did it on purpose. They're poking and prodding and testing. And, and listen, every com- every country spies on other countries. I mean, as you know, the United States is a member of Five Eyes. That's why I went to New Zealand as a Five Eyes partner. U.S., Canada, Great Britain, Australia, New Zealand to you know determine you know figure out these things, try to you know protect our, our world and and, and pr- freedom and democracy but you know we we spy they spy everything but you know this is usually when can you imagine if president reagan got even jfk if this ever happened yeah president trump are you kidding me it would be down in like minutes and it sends a message that we're not going to take crap from the chinese communist party and uh, listen i'm not sure how it's going to go either you know the democrats are all over the place you know they're all over the place in the border and, and by the way with regard to the border i mean here we are the it's the most ever. What what does it take, and at what point do we say enough? Like, what's the what's the end game? Just to get so many illegals in here that they ultimately get their obviously their their legitimization, and and then they can affect the outcomes of elections. This is just wrong. Just stop. And we need to make a send a message. People yeah, need no, to get in it, there who can actually stop this stuff. You know, news is coming across now that we use surveillance balloons. Uh, we. You would think we would know about balloons because we use them ourselves down on the border sure. and they're good surveillance tools because you can, when you get up in the sky, if the weather's okay, which it usually is down on the southern border, you can actually watch people through infrared. You can see them at night. You can see them during the day and give some intelligence as people are crossing the border. And now the Biden administration, in an effort to further secure the border, is saying that they're no longer going to use balloons. This just coming across this mor- this morning. Yeah, Again. yeah listen, it, it, it's a comedy of errors, as I said. We've been using balloons, if I'm not mistaken, since the Civil War. Definitely World War One. I. I mean, we, we we shot down a tremendous amount of, uh, of those surveillance-type balloons. Yeah, it's part of part of you know all the tools in the toolbox arsenal we have when it, to keep our country safe. But there's just a clear... Uh, and present danger being created by this administration for the lack of securing the border, the lack of uh, you know 
being strong and addressing what's happening with the CCP, uh, you know, trying to destroy our businesses, overtax, overspend, putting us in a, in a debt-ridden situation, inflation out of control. I mean, I, listen, I don't need to tell anybody who's listening the price of eggs, uh, the price of bacon, you know, obviously gas is down or we should be happy. Hey, listen, it's still over you know, three forty, three fifty in California. It's over five dollars. Come on, let's not let's not kid a kidder here. Uh, we have some very serious problems, and he's talking about resort fees and attacking smokers, and it's like, come on, Mr. President, get real. Yeah. Last topic here. You know, one of the things the administration is doing is putting out this whole army, literally like an army of IRS agents, and one of the things they say they want to do is get after people and their tips um, and making sure that there's much more enforcement on people who are making tips. I don't know how that plays in Massachusetts and New Hampshire and places you hang out, but, um, you know, for a president who goes out and says, hey, listen, you know, we're not going to increase taxes on anybody who earns less than $400,000 a year to go now pick on somebody and assume they're guilty for not paying taxes on their tips. Come on. Well, listen, you're going to have a lot of uh, young kids. I mean, Venmo, you got kids mowing lawns who are making, you know, a grand maybe in the summertime. Uh, right. Kids that are doing painting in the summertime, you know, to pay for college tuition. You know, they may get a little cash under the table. Hey, good for them. They're out hustling. They're out working. Uh, yeah. but, and, you know, we know when there's abuse, we have to address it. But what I've said, you know, you say, well, so-and-so, this billionaire and this president, this didn't pay taxes. They paid little or no taxes. Great. Then fix the damn tax code. You know, I mean, they're, they're taking advantage of, of things that Congress has provided, the, the loopholes and exemptions, so businesses can be created and people can take advantage of things when things may not be as good as possible. You know, the, the accelerated depreciation, you know, writing off your business costs and interest to create jobs. If you don't like it, fix it. You know, to, but to hire, you know, an army of IRS agents, listen, that's where Congress comes in. You know, they, they control the purse strings, and, you know, I'm, I'm thankful, I wish it was by a larger majority, that the Republicans are in charge of the House, so we at least have that check and balance, and we can, you know, slow down this runaway freight train. But uh, we need to uh, zero in before our rights are taken away uh, in so many different areas. And, uh, you know, I think, obviously, the, the tech industry, you know, our job creators, inflation, the debt, the deficit, and our border are probably the, the top. And then, obviously, dealing with CCP is, you know, top three, four, five right there. I love it when you're fired up. I really do. I well, really do. me every day, Jason, and you too. I listen to you. I see you. It, it's real, and people need to yeah. kind of not be complacent. And this whole laissez-faire attitude—it's like, come on, guys, let's get get off the couch and let's get involved. Because and it starts at the local school boards, and you got to get get out there and run. I mean, yeah, you got to yeah. get out there and get involved. Support people you think can make a difference, or, or, or we're going to be in deep trouble. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Senator Scott Brown, the ambassador. Uh, and just all around good guy. Um, appreciate you joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Really do appreciate Anytime. it. Anytime. All right. All right. Cheers. All right. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Honest commentary. Unique opinions. No agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, folks. It's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie. Formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services. Marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. 
As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. When applied to the approximate $888 billion in benefits paid during the pandemic, we estimate that at least $191 billion in pandemic UI payments could have been paid improperly, with a significant portion attributable to fraud. Holy moly. I mean, talk about an absolute stunning number. That was uh, Larry Turner, the Department of Labor Inspector General. They are estimating that more than 20%, more than one out of every $5, roughly $191 billion that was allocated for uh, the pandemic payments for unemployment were fraudulently uh, paid out. I mean, we hear all the time from government leaders, right? You hear from the president at the State of the Union. You hear from all kinds of people. We need more money. We got to raise more taxes. We have to have more money in the treasury. We have a $31 trillion debt. And then the American people pull out of their wallets and add more debt to their own personal share of that debt. The amount of money to go out to help people during the pandemic and the administration doesn't know how to deal with it. So they just keep handing out the need for speed was much greater than the need to make sure that it's done properly and that it's documented properly. So $191 billion goes rolling out the door. Just to give you an idea and a sense of how big that is. Um, for the state of Utah, I'm from Utah, I'm more familiar with Utah. Our, our entire state budget, everything for schools, roads, National Guard, you name it, is in the $20 billion range. So you have $191 billion that's going out the door. And that's just the unemployment, folks. Remember, you have the social, you have a, the Secret Service testifying that they think there's $100 billion out there. I don't know what the grand total is going to be, 
but it, we already know it's going to be hundreds of billions of dollars that fraudulently went out the door. Now, a lot of that went overseas, and a lot of it went to who knows who. But you know what is inexcusable? We were supposed to know about this. I participated when I was in Congress with TARP. Remember the Troubled Asset Relief Program they had? TARP, and we did hearings afterwards, they didn't know how to deal with the acceleration of the spending of money out of Washington, D.C. This happened under Barack Obama and Joe Biden. You would think that the administration would actually learn this, these bureaucrats. And you know what, folks? Do you think there's a single person in the federal government that's going to get fired? Do you think there's anybody that's going to be held responsible? Do you think, no, every one of these people that were involved in this travesty and this ripping off and fleecing of America, they're going to get a raise. They're going to make more money. Not one person will be fired. If this happened at your own business, are you kidding me? More than 20% of those monies were stolen, fraudulently went out the door. It's outrageous. We have to demand. We can't just let this report go, come and go. We have to actually, actually fix this problem. We got a lot more coming up on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Jason Chaffetz. Stay with us. We got some uh, exciting guests coming forward. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, I'm glad you're uh, with this. I'm Jason Chaffetz filling in for uh, Brian Kilmeade, and uh, there's so much to talk about right now, and I'm thrilled to have on the line somebody I actually served with in the United States Congress, uh, the former chairman of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. Uh, the former representative from Michigan, Mike Rogers. Thanks for joining us. Jason, it is uh, great to hear your voice. And it's yeah. great to be here. Yeah, no, always good to chat with you. Um, there's yeah. another Mike Rogers in Congress who's still there, who's a pretty important player down there, but this is the Mike Rogers as far as I'm concerned. So <laughs> uh, You're too too kind. He always says he's he's from Alabama, so he may have a little bit of a southern draw, and he says that I'm the one that talks funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not going to argue with him. He's still there, so that's good. Um, exactly. <laughs> hey, listen, um, look, you you, uh, you you were the chairman of the Intel Committee, right? So you've seen a yeah. lot of stuff along the way, and uh, I want to start off and kick off and talk about, and you've been through some of these raucous um, State of the Unions, but I don't know, this one had sort of a sort of a special glint to it. Let me, let me start with cut two and get your reaction to it. Instead of making the wealthy pay their fair share, some Republicans, some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. Anybody who doubts it, contact my office. I'll give you a copy. I'll give you a copy of the proposal. So, folks, as we all apparently agree, Social Security and Medicare is off the, off the books now, right? They're not to be sponsored. All right. We got unanimity. I mean, to suggest that the Republicans are supportive of sunsetting it as opposed to, hey, let's fix it so that it will continue on and make sure that you make some adjustments to it so it can continue on in perpetuity. I I don't know how he got away with that. Um, 
But that's the kind of contentious stuff that was happening there at the State of the Union. What was your what were your thoughts and reaction well, to what was going on? First of all, the president. I mean, the, the president, you know, took the low road already when he tried to do that, and he was trying. What they were doing in the campaign, goat leading into 2022, was running around the country saying. If you recall, Republicans are cutting your Social Security and cutting your Medicare, cutting your Social Security and cutting your Medicare. And, you know, as you and I maybe have discussed on the House floor many moons ago, they are very good. The Democrats are being disciplined about their message. And they said over and over and over and over again, as people start to believe it. And so that was a political line in a speech that really, I think, warranted a lofty view of where we are in the country and what our challenges are. And he swung in a mist on that. Um, it just didn't see. It just seems like our politics, you know, emanating from the leader in the in the administration, isn't big enough to handle the big problems we have. Medicaid, think of this, is going to be in a cash deficit in 2028, not yeah. 10 years, not 15 years, 2028. And so what he's what he's saying is, let's just bankrupt it, and then we'll try to see what we can do. I mean, that's absolutely irresponsible. It is. It's it's malpractice to not address it now, um, when you can actually steer the ship in the right direction without cutting benefits to those that are on the program or right about to be on the program Um, to wait till it's in a disaster is wrong. (laughs) You can see this car crash going to happen. Exactly. And they're Um, doing nothing other than saying, you know, we're not going to do anything. And by the way, you should vote for us because we're not going to do anything. Well, when it crashes that, you know, something's going to happen, right? Something's going to have to change. There's going to be we're either going to have to borrow more money from China just to meet demand, which is unsustainable. Right. I mean, it just creates all of these other problems by not trying to deal with the issue today. And we have time. That's the that's is this is the worst part of it. We have time, uh, but I think they're more concerned about getting reelected than they are actually fixing real problems. And Medicare is is the lifeline for, as you know, just millions and millions of Americans. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to transition now and talk a little bit about uh, China. Uh, your perspective, you know, as the former uh, chairman of the Intel Committee. Uh, look, uh, one of the uh, key people that testified on Capitol Hill on Tuesday was this Admiral uh, Harris. Now, I'm sure you're familiar with Admiral Harris. I actually at one point went to Hawaii where he was stationed and uh, got a classified briefing for more than an hour talking about the threats, the developments, what was going on in China. And I was just, it's kind of a shock and awe. You're just sort of like, wow, we better get our act together. Listen to this cut 16, and then I want to get your reaction to it. Over the past five years, The situation has worsened, in my opinion, in almost every geostrategic measure. A security environment more complex and more volatile and more dangerous than any that I've seen. We are in what I call the decisive decade. And this is from a guy who knows, who's put his life on the line and was the commander out there as an admiral. Um, What's your reaction to what he said? I think he's absolutely right. The sad part is, Jason, we knew about this back in the early, uh, you know, 20,000 to 2010 era, right. uh, because they were saying they were going to do this. They, the Chinese Communist Party was saying, hey, these are the things that we're going to do. We're going to compete with the U.S. Navy. Well, guess what? They just surpassed us in the number of ships. We are going to take on the dominance of the United States in space. And guess what? We are now have uh, strategic competitors in space, China being the, the main player there, and they've militarized it. We never militarized it. They have militarized space uh, with killer, uh, you know, they have 
anti-satellite missile capability. They have anti-satellite capability. They have killer satellites they've launched to take out other satellites. I mean, this is pretty serious stuff. I mean, we all know what they've been doing in cyber by stealing intellectual property, maybe the largest transfer of wealth uh, in the history of the world from information they've stolen from American businesses and repurposed in China. Their military is getting better and more modernized. So they're going through all of these processes and look at the politics we just talked about on the on the House floor with the president of the United States uh, saying something he knew not to be true. Uh, I mean, this is where we are. And the reason the Chinese are moving out and being so aggressive is because they say this is their, their kind of terminology. Hey, they're soft and self-absorbed. That's how we're going to beat them. Yeah, well, no, you look at that State of the Union. You can't, How do you argue we're not? Yeah. You have a president who's not fully aware and. Let, let, I want to stay on this just a little bit because it is so important to our national security. This is, again, Admiral Harris testifying on Tuesday in Capitol Hill. Let's go to cut 17. I'll just say that, that we're shooting behind the Peking duck on, on hypersonics. Uh, China is ahead of us in that regard. We need an offensive capability and we need a defensive capability. Imagine a missile that's flying so fast that you can't pick it up on radar, let alone shoot it down. And that, that's what we're up against. And, you, you know, um, a lot of people sort of mocked uh, President uh, Trump when he created the Space Force. Hollywood kind of laughed at it, created a series called Space Force. You know, everybody's kind of. But I'm telling you, what's going on in space is pretty important to how we live in this country. Well, huge. So you think about everything uh, is connected. And let me just start with the military side of that, Jason. So you think of smart soldiers, smart sailors, smart ships, smart bombs, smart airplanes. That's all space enabled. One of the reasons the Chinese, and they did this back in 2007. I was on the Intelligence Committee. It was the first time we had seen it. They, the Chinese fired an anti-satellite missile, went you know up from the ground into the atmosphere and hit a satellite. Now, they were shooting at their own just to show they had the capability to do it. Uh, but that cha- fundamentally changed the way we had to look at space, we the United States. And we said, uh, we the United States said, oh, we got to do something about it. We were very, very slow in reacting, and our defense and intelligence services were scratching their heads. And if they take those things out, you know, it's not just – you know, you don't have your Starbucks uh, app working when you get up in the morning. Right. Financial transactions come to a halt. There's all kinds of really big and important things, all the logistics that happen from getting uh, corn from Iowa to, to New York to get to bakeries is all space-enabled. And so all of that stuff gets disrupt, uh, disrupted in a way that could be very harmful, A, for our economy. But think about the national security implications you know, you know that that carrier group just becomes a big bobbin piece of concrete out there if they don't have that space-enabled military-grade GPS to, to fire missiles and do other things. You got to go back to the old way of doing it. China knows it. That's why they went after us in space. They knew that was our strength uh, and why we were so dominant on the battlefield anywhere we went. And guess what? They decided to go after it. And hypersonics, by the way, was a part of their equation to say what what's the other thing we worry about? They have space. The U.S. What's the other thing? They have this blue water navy that's best in the world. What what can we do to push that blue water navy uh, out of places like the South China Sea and other places where most of the world trade flows through? And it was hypersonic missiles. So they developed it, implemented them, and have it. And as you know, you went to the briefing, but you would ever talk to a 
uh, commander out in the Pacific, the one thing that gives them a bead of sweat are these hypersonic missiles. And it meant that our Navy has to have longer standoff, meaning we have to pull out of certain areas because of the threat of these missiles. And so China's just been marching along. We've been doing things like sending FBI agents to to, uh, school board meetings. We are not taking this threat seriously, and we're not preparing ourselves for the strategic competition in the way that we need to to compete against uh, this rising China. No, it's it's scary stuff, and I'm glad we're talking about it. We need more people talking about it, and we need Congress focused on it as well. Um, I've only got you for a few more minutes. I want to focus. I want to totally shift gears now um, and get into this op-ed you wrote. Um, it's in the Washington Times. Uh, talking about schools. Um, yeah. So tell tell me what's your thesis here and what you wanted to highlight. Well, we have a literacy crisis in America, Jason. And by the way, this is one of the things that I've been out around the country talking about how we have to get our act together to compete against China. Right. We're graduating half, think of this, half of high school seniors last year couldn't read at the sixth grade level. Wow. And we're graduating. They're putting them out in the workforce. Um, and that puts us at a disadvantage. This is a forced disability and one that we can cure. And so if you're going to compete against China, the one thing we have to do is get our schools not focused on uh, your sexuality, but focused on reading, writing, and arithmetic. The rest of those problems will take care of themselves. But this uh, hijacking of curriculum and making <laughs> making it so that we're graduating kids that can't read at the sixth grade level, by the way, what that means for them is they have a much higher percentage likelihood to end up in prison or living on welfare. Mm-hmm. And so you're sentencing these kids to, to two really terrible options. And my argument is if this is the one thing that we can tackle and cure it, and, and there's great reading reclamation programs, they're all nonprofit, uh, that, that can go into schools and get these kids reading at grade level. And here's the economic benefit of this, Jason. If you can get every child graduating in the 12th grade reading at the 12th grade, it adds about $1.7 trillion to the economy because they can upskill from there. They can actually go out and improve their skills and go to community college or fill out applications. Imagine trying to fill out an application with a sixth grade reading level. Pretty tough. So it improves their life. It improves the communities they live in. It improves the economics of the United States. And... If we're going to compete with China in this next generation in technology, you need smarter kids graduating from high school. This uh, this is the one thing we have to start on, and we can do, and we can fix, and I argue we must do it. No, I totally, totally agree. Glad you're on that as well. We've been talking with uh, Mike Rogers, former congressman from uh, this great state of Michigan, and uh, also the former chairman of the uh, Intelligence Committee. So thank you so much for joining us. Always good to hear your voice and talk to you again. And thanks for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks, Jason. It's uh, great to hear you, and I look forward to catching up in person. I'll buy you that cup of coffee, and we'll, we'll solve the world's problems. Very good. Very good. All right. Thanks again, Mike Rogers. Uh, appreciate it. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I think you guys got played. I think you guys wanted to wanted to take it deep down. We saw what the chairman put up where you said, you know, everyone in the White House is a, is a fascist. I think you guys wanted it to be taken down. 
I think you meet with these guys every week. We know that's been established in the Twitter files. You had weekly meetings with Mr. Chan in the run-up to the election. They send you all kinds of emails. They send you documents on the super-secret James Bond teleporter. You get information on that. I think you guys wanted to take it down. I think you guys got played by the FBI. That, of course, is uh, Jim Jordan, uh, chairman of the Judiciary Committee, the congressman from Ohio, and somebody I served with in Congress for a number of years when I was there. Um, I'm Jason Chaffetz, by the way, filling in for Brian Kilmeade. But Jim Jordan is making the most salient point here. Here you have Twitter um, as an you know independent uh, private company. Um, but the FBI, I guess what should scare everybody on both sides of the aisle, I know you have, you have Democrats out there, Jamie Raskin and AOC and others kind of poo-pooing it, downplaying it, saying, oh, there's nothing there, there, and, and we shouldn't worry about this. Yes, we should worry about it. You had the Federal Bureau of Investigations, the Department of Justice, embedding itself with a private company to inject itself to, at points, saying, you know, uh, we got to make sure that you do this or that you do that or that you do this or you do that. To what end? You know, one of the core questions I think that has to continue to be asked of the FBI is what laws do you believe were being broken? You know, these these companies out there, they have um, uh, protection under what's called Section 230 of the code of the United States Code. And under this so-called provision of 230, there's limitations on liability. The argument when the Internet was first starting and social media platforms were in their infancy is you can't hold us liable for what goes out over this because we're just the, the pass through. And so Congress gave them this, this exemption. And it was really supposed to be an accelerant for people exercising their First Amendment rights. Now, if there's some foreign entity that's trying to manipulate it, then highlight and take that down. But that's not where it's gravitated. What happened is that Twitter was allowed to be infiltrated itself. And as Jim Jordan points out, he believes that they were complicit in wanting this to happen to make political decisions, to take down, for instance, the New York Post, the fourth largest uh, newspaper in our country, from publishing a story that the FBI knew was true. Remember, in the Hunter Biden laptop scenario, they had the laptop months and months and months and months before. So they knew that this laptop was true. And yet you have the former general counsel for the FBI now working at Twitter. And you have this whole array of, of FBI agents that are interacting with them weekly, if not daily. And at some points you have the FBI peppering them with questions uh, with Twitter people with questions and suggestions. Remember, they're law enforcement. If law enforcement knocked on your door and said, you know, you really ought to think about taking this down. At some points they were saying, because it violates your terms of service. Now, even that was questionable. But what in the world is the FBI doing, injecting itself into terms of service discussions and putting pressure on them? to take down things that were politically inconvenient for Democrats. That's the reality. It's the weaponization of the Federal Bureau of Investigation for purely political processes. And that, that's what I think will continue to go out there and continue to be exposed, and we all ought to pay attention to it. 
I'm Jason Chaffetz. Thanks for listening to us. Jason in the house. If you listen to my podcast, I'd appreciate it. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. You know, Brian Kilmeade is the most approachable guy. And, you know, right now he's on an airplane headed to the Super Bowl. So I'm Jason Chaffetz filling in for him. Please, if you're on a plane uh, and you see him sleeping or he's got his eyes closed or even if he's working, tap him on the shoulder. Tell him you said hi. Make sure you shake him, wake, you know, wake him up and, and say, hey, you're the most approachable guy. He'll love that. I promise he'll love it. Um, and I'm also glad that we've got as one of our first guests here for this hour, uh, Sean Duffy. The former congressman from Wisconsin, who's now the the uh, co-host uh, on the bottom line on Fox Business Network, uh, there at 6 p.m. Eastern. First comments, voice of the day. We're glad we woke him up. Sean Duffy's joining us. <laughs> Jason Chaffetz, it's great to be with you. Uh, listen, I love that. If Brian killed me to sleeping on the plane, shake him, wake him up, and see if he's the most approachable guy on TV or radio. See what happens. <laughs> yeah, I think he'll <laughs> love that. I think he'll love that. Yeah. Love um, hey, thanks for joining us. Congratulations on the new show. You you and Dagan got a lot of energy, and it's a great program, so you're off to a great start there. Yeah, thank you. It's been a, it's been a fun show. Dagan and I would work together when I was in Congress, actually, and you probably did, too. You'd go on Maria's in the morning, and um, she was always wonderful. And, you know, we're uh, halfway through week three and just been having a lot of fun and great guests. You were kind enough to join us. Um, well, I was razzing a little bit as you came on, but it's, so you know what, and, and to do it every day um, is has been a lot of fun. And, and as I as I'm doing, you know, the bottom line Fox Business at 6 p.m. Eastern, and I watched what happened in Congress, not just for the speakers vote, but also all the lies I heard at the State of the Union. I was kind of like, I don't know that I miss it that much, Jason. I, <laughs> this might be better. Yeah, you know, it was a little raucous there. It's an honor to be in the in there and be one of the representatives. Um, for the State of the Union, I, I I wish it was less raucous, quite frankly. I think it's a time for the president to make his comments. I know it's a one-way conversation, and you get frustrated because he's saying things that you know aren't true, and that was probably more true this year than any of the years we probably went through, but it was maybe a little bit raucous. Well, so first of all, I agree with you. I like to have decorum. Uh, in the chamber, and especially for the State of the Union, we have a long history of that. Um, and so when you erode the norms, whether it was at the State of the Union or even kicking members off of committees, Nancy Pelosi did it to Jim Jordan, Jim Banks, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Paul Gosar. I, I didn't like that because I, I and you knew the same thing. It's like, well, when Republicans take over, and they will one day, they're going to do the same to you. And I think Kevin McCarthy had to respond in kind, though he was more generous. He just said, there's certain committees you can't serve on. We're not going to kick you off of every single committee where Nancy Pelosi kicked Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar, our congressman from Arizona, off all committees. But in the House, I, you know, I, I, I like, I, you know, again, the speaker invites the president, and I, I would appreciate the president not coming in and telling a bold-faced, flat-out lie on Medicare in front yeah. of, you know, the majority of members in the chamber, which are Republicans. And I don't think they have much of a choice but to, to fact-check him in real time the media won't fact check Joe Biden. So members of Congress did. And when you when, when you start to push the envelope like 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 Joe did in the speech, you know, you're going to get a response. And I wish that he had a little more tact in 
you know, saying we all should stand together and preserve and protect Social Security and Medicare as opposed to lying about Republicans and saying they want to take it away. It's outrageous. Yeah, there was a high road way to do that. I thought, you know, having watched that clip again, I really think he was baiting the the, the Republicans. I think it was a, a purposeful bait as opposed to taking the high road and say, can we all agree? And, and then he, he could have said, and then everybody would have stood and clapped, and then he could say, good, I'm glad we all agree. Now let's move on. But the president was yesterday in your home state of Wisconsin, and I want to play a clip here, a clip 30, because the president was out, you know, usually they kind of barnstorm the country and talk about their state of the union. Um, but let's listen to clip 30. He was in uh, DeForest, is that how you say it, uh, Wisconsin? I don't know. Was that in your congressional yep. district? It was, it was not. He won't go to my district. We're too Republican. (laughs) All right. Let's listen to the president uh, yesterday in Wisconsin. Clip 30. Inflation has fallen six months straight. Inflation is coming down. Take-home pay of workers is going up slightly. Manufacturing is rebounding at the fastest rate in almost 40 years. The economy is growing at a solid clip. Folks, I hate to disappoint them, but the Biden economic plan is working. It's working. (laughs) Yeah, it's working, Congressman. What do you got? Nothing to worry about. Everything's rosy. Everything's going great. Well, you and I have talked about this a lot, and, and many people on Fox have discussed this. But if you ask the American people, they'll tell you actually it's not going better. Four in ten Americans say they're worse off financially under Joe Biden than they were under Donald Trump. That's a staggering number. Joe Biden also said, "I'm going to unify the country." That was his main pitch. I'm not Donald Trump. I'm not going to have those. Rock his Twitter account. I'm not going to fight with the media. I'm going to unify you. Well, eight out of 10 Americans, 82%, say that the country is fracturing like a family. They're going in two different directions. We're more divided. And that's 10 points higher than when Donald Trump was in office. So he hasn't made it better. He's made it worse. And just on, in, uh, not to throw all these numbers at you, but on the economy um, and wages, wages have gone up. He's right. Wages have gone up about 4.4%. But inflation's up 6.5%. So your wage gain isn't keeping up with inflation. So you're poorer as an American because of Joe Biden's economy. And he, so he's not telling the whole story, which is why when people look at prices at the store and what's left over at the end of the month, they know that they're worse off under this economy. No matter how many times Joe Biden lies to me and to the American people that it's really great, he can't, he, he, he can't fool my lying checkbook and my lying eyes of what I see in my own life. Well, you know, I, I when I listened to and I listened to every word of that State of the Union, I was struck with a couple of things. First of all, I thought it was the least patriotic one I'd ever heard. Almost no mention of our United States military, our Border Patrol, or first responders. None. I mean, just uh, no acknowledgement there uh, of all those people who serve our country and really are on the front lines for all of us. Uh, the second thing is, what is his plan to tackle inflation? What is his plan to make our country more energy efficient and drive down the cost of gasoline? Those aren't his goals. But I still am in bewilderment as to what he thinks he's doing to tackle inflation. Yeah, and you know, he, he said, you know, help us finish the job. Let's finish the job. That was his right, theme right. On the, at the State of the Union. And I think that's probably going to be his reelection theme to have him finish the job. I think most Americans are like, finish the job. You've, you've already destroyed the economy. You've destroyed the border. You've destroyed education. You've destroyed law enforcement. Finish the job. My God, we're, we're, we're already getting crushed. Don't finish the job. Go back to the Donald Trump era 
But, you know, to your point, Jason, on inflation, the problem we have is massive government spending. So it was, to be fair to Joe, it's not all his fault. There was pent-up demand. There were supply chain issues, all that came after the pandemic. You were going to see some inflation because of just the structure of the economy and the shutdowns and lockdowns and China shutting down during COVID. But it didn't have to, you know, approach 9%. It doesn't have to be 6.5% as it is today. And that comes from, you and I know, massive government spending. And he's not done yet. A lot of the bills that they passed in the last Congress, a lot of that money hasn't been spent yet. So you have hundreds of billions of dollars still yet to go at the door, which is still going to be an inflation driver. And so you have Joe Biden with spending driving inflation higher. And then the Federal Reserve is jacking up rates, trying to slow down the economy and combat inflation. They're pushing the card in different directions. And the person that's caught in the middle is the middle-class American who says, you know, one, the spending doesn't help me. It helps those who are well tied to a, a green agenda. But I'm getting crushed with higher interest rates on my, on, on my used car or on my credit card. If I'm going to buy a house or refinance my house, rates are much higher. And you're, you know, sapping into the discretional spending of, 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 of so many Americans. So they're, get, they're, they're the ones that are, that are getting pinched. Yeah, no, they, I don't think he has a plan other than more government, more spending, more more government. And um, I really thought Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, nailed it. I thought she was much more patriotic. I thought she uh, she talked from her heart. She told uh, salient stories and really, I think, framed the the issues in front of our country much better than the president did. But Sean Duffy, I I, I, don't, 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 don't go yet. Give me one second. You got you, you're going to push the break. Make all your people go crazy. Did you notice that Joe Biden was to your point was all about government? We had yeah. this idea before that it was about the private sector, the individual, the innovator that made the economy great. And Joe Biden's view is the only answer to the problems that we face in, in the country is more government, more government control, more bureaucracy, more spending, more printing. And that's the exact opposite of what we need to do to get the economy back going. And one yeah. last point, Jason, if you look at what Joe Biden said about Ron Johnson and and, and uh, Rick Scott from Florida that we want to take away Medicare, I didn't mention this to you. Joe Biden in 1975, I'm not sure if you talked about this earlier in the show, he came out, he's on video saying, I want to freeze Social Security yeah. and <laughs> Medicare and even veterans benefits. So Joe Biden was doing in 1975 what he claimed Rick Scott was doing. But what Rick Scott is saying, hey, this, this program's going broke. We have to figure out how we fix it for the future generation of retirees. Joe Biden was going to take money away from all retirees as a, as a senator from Delaware. So just the hypocrisy, the lies are so rich and um, so frustrating. So I'm sorry I took another minute of your time, but I had to rant one last time for you, Jason Chaffetz. <laughs> no, anything for the one and only Sean Duffy. Of course, he's got that new show on Fox Business Network with Dagan McDowell. That's uh, 6 p.m. Uh, on Fox Business. Great show. It's called uh, The Bottom Line. So I hope you, everybody has a chance to check that out. Sean, sorry to wake you up, but thanks for joining us on The Brian Kilbert Show. <laughs> Thank you, Jason Chaffetz. You're a great American. We'll talk to you soon, and we'll be right back. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks for joining us on The Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Jason Chaffetz filling in for Brian. He's on the way to the Super Bowl. You know, earlier we were joking about him 
you know, if you see him on the plane and he's asleep, but, you know, the guy never sleeps. The guy's unbelievable that way, but uh, and it's uh, an honor to fill in for him. I appreciate it. He's uh, he's done Super Bowl after Super Bowl for Fox News, and uh, this Super Bowl is on Fox, so they get even more access, and it'll be a, a, a great game moving forward. Looking forward to that. Uh, but we're still talking about all the craziness that is Washington, D.C., and everything that's going on, and we're honored to have uh, Senator Bill Haggerty, the uh, the, Cong- the uh, senator from Tennessee, uh, joining us on the line. Uh, senator, thanks for joining us. Jason, it's great to be with you, and I, I couldn't agree more. Brian, Brian is just a ball of energy. Um, he, he's amazing, and I know he's going to do a great job uh, covering the Super Bowl. Oh, no, he works as hard as anybody, and um, anyway, he's uh, he's also a super funny guy. So um, anyway... <laughs> Uh, let, let's talk a little bit. We got a couple things we got to hit in the few minutes that we that we have you. Uh, State of the Union. What what was your top line kind of takeaway and concern, uh, if you had any, from the uh, State of the Union? I, I think most Americans felt like I did. Here we go again. Here's another bait and switch where you know Joe Biden tries to obfuscate or just make claims that aren't credible. You know he's taking credit for people returning to jobs that were lost during mostly Democrat-driven lockdowns. You know, he's talking about being a middle-class champion. He's out touring the country right now. But who suffers most from Biden's policies? Think about it. The inflation. The average family in America has now lost $10,000 of buying power since Joe Biden took office. Prices are up 13.5% since he took office. Crime through the roof. The flood of humans and drugs coming across our collapsed southern border. The people that suffer most are middle class, and that's who Joe Biden is trying to act like he's a friend of. But, uh, frankly, he's punishing our, our middle class terribly. You know, I I watched it, um, and I've sat through 10 of these types of speeches in the past. I I was struck by the lack of patriotism, by not mentioning or talking about our troops, first responders, or people uh, in the Border Patrol who are going through hell right now trying to to deal with the the onslaught of people coming across the border. Um, But the second thing is... what does he have in terms of a plan? He threw out lots of statistics like some technocrat would do. Um, but what is his plan to tackle inflation, energy, uh, all those types of things? I'm going to play this clip. Um, and it was one of the more interesting moments from the State of the Union. Let's play clip six, please. Big Oil just reported his profits, record profits. Last year they made $200 billion dollars in the midst of a global energy crisis. I think it's outrageous. Why? They invested too little of that profit to increase domestic production. And when I talk to a couple of them, they say, we're afraid you're going to shut down all the oil wells and all the uh, oil refineries anyway, so why should we invest in them? I said, we're going to need oil for at least another decade. And that's going to exceed. (laughs) And beyond that. I mean... What is the president's so plan? Touch. I mean, Jason, what did you so out of touch? Yeah. What was your reaction to when you heard him say that? So, you know, I've, I've been a business person my entire career. Uh, Joe Biden and this administration just do not understand the basic principles of investing and earning a return on that investment. He's made it such that oil companies cannot invest. He's talked about ending fossil fuels in America in the year 2030. That's seven years, not even a decade. And oil and gas companies are in a position now where they cannot reinvest in more capacity because this administration will not permit more capacity. They won't allow the pipelines. They won't allow the drilling. They're doing everything they can to demonize and 
make us weak uh, in the oil and gas sector. That was a huge source of our competitive advantage just three years ago before Biden took office. We were energy independent, more competitive than any other nation on earth. They are destroying our energy independence. They're making us, again, dependent on communist China to get batteries, to get solar panels, to get windmills. That's their plan, however poorly articulated it is. It's basically shifting our competitive advantage to China. No, that, and that's that's the rub, and that's why the prices are so high. It's why they don't invest. It's understanding. You're right, the basics of the economy and basic business principles. Because you know what, he's been in Washington D.C. The only thing he's ever done is really politics. So he's been there for fifty, literally like fifty years. Now you're also you're on the Foreign Relations Committee. You're on the Appropriations Committee, the Rules Committee. Let's put on your Foreign Relations hat here for a second. Talk about China. Talk about this balloon. Um, and the aggressive nature, because I think China smells weakness, and they're testing and probing and pushing us like never before. Well, uh, I think China is demonstrating a very systematic process where they're building out at every level. They've now built the world's largest navy. They're building out their nuclear arsenal at an incredible pace. They've been working in space with satellite technology. Now what they've demonstrated is that they're taking on the stratosphere. And you're right. They are testing us. And I think the fact that they floated that balloon across the United States of America was a real test of our resolve. And Joe Biden failed that test. It is just amazing that if that reporter in Montana, the photographer and the news outlet there in Montana had not made this public, I wonder what the Biden administration would have done. Did they hope that America would just not know that they let this float over? And no pun intended that they just let it blow by. Uh, you know, they really wanted a meeting with Xi Jinping. Those press releases and those photo ops drive this administration. And uh, not until a couple of days after the balloon was discovered did Secretary of State Blinken take down the meeting with President Xi. I think China was just testing to see how much they could get away with. How bad did we want that meeting? And there is you know, no resolve. There's no show of strength in all of this. It is extremely disturbing. And I, I'll say one more thing, Jason, and you'll appreciate this given your experience. What was the Pentagon's response to this when they were caught? They said, oh, the same sort of thing happened during the Trump administration. There were incursions then. Well, let me tell you this. The senior official at the Pentagon that said that, if it's true, was revealing very sensitive information, classified information, because it means that we Senator, were able to detect Senator, it. I have to cut you off. We have a hard break. We've been talking to Senator Bill Haggerty. Thanks for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Sorry to cut you off, but we have to go to commercial break, and we'll be right back. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, it's actually Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Brian. Uh, Very excited to uh, be hosting for him. He's on the way to the Super Bowl. And somebody who actually knows a bit about football along the way, I'm real thrilled to have. I'm really excited. This is personally very exciting for me to have Brian Urlacher, the Hall of Fame uh, linebacker from the Chicago Bears, is joining us on the line. Brian's... uh, Thrilled to have you on. Appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me on, Jason. I appreciate it. Good job doing it, man. Um, uh, yeah, well, thanks. I, I always see you on all the Fox shows, so you do a great job. Well, you're, I'm glad to hear you're watching the right network. I, I really That's do appreciate right. it. Yes, That's I kind do. of fun. <laughs> now, you, I, I do need to tell you up front, um, I, I was actually – I have a hard time saying it with a straight face, but I was actually uh, a football player as well. Now, I only played at college. <laughs> I didn't go on to the pros like you did, but I was a place kicker once upon a time, and – 
I'm not really a football player. You know, guys like you touch me, they throw a flag. Yeah, kickers are very underestimated. People don't realize how much they need them until they miss a field goal or until they can't make a field goal to win the game. So uh, don't uh, don't sell yourself short there. Kickers are a big deal. At least I, I valued our kicker a lot. Well, you were always the leading scorer on the team. I would try to remind That's the quarterback right. of that. <laughs> that. It's a big deal, man, especially when you get those tight games and you get the cold weather games. And kick, you know, Playing in Chicago, we, uh, we were fortunate to have a really good kicker in Robbie Gold, and the weather didn't bother him. Now, you didn't you start out as a safety and then moved I, to linebacker? I did, Jason. I played free safety in college. I played free safety in high school. And then I kind of grew out of safety my last couple of years in college. And I knew when the Bears drafted me out, <clears throat> I would be a linebacker. So, um, and I was 6'4", 250. So I kind of figured I might be a little bit too big to play safety back there. Well, yeah, that's a problem, right? When the coach says you're too big. Um, but, yeah. boy, you are tenacious. You had a great career. Um, great in the community. And... Before we talk a little bit more about uh, football and the uh, the the uh, Super Bowl that's coming up, I want to talk about the sort of the, the some of the time you've been dedicating to going out and working with the Border Patrol. Um, tell us what you're yeah. doing there, why you're doing it, what you're seeing, and you know, I got to tell you, there are twenty plus thousand Border Patrol agents. They have got to appreciate your support of what they're doing and how they're doing it. Is it's a t- that's one of the toughest jobs there is. Yeah, they have a tough time. It's really, you know, I, uh, you say they appreciate what I'm doing. I appreciate what they're doing. You know, we live in Arizona, so we're we're down here by the border. We're we're not a border town, but we're about two hours, two and a half hours from Yuma, which is where I went down to visit twice. Uh, Chief Clem was nice enough to let us come down there and and, and just kind of be on boots on the ground. You know, we got to go on the the, the boats on the water and kind of go up and down the uh, the Colorado River there and see what's really going on on both sides uh, and and spend a lot of time with the, with the agents. You know, we got up close and personal with a bunch of them. And just hear some of the stories and the stuff they see. And, you know, it's the stories you hear, you just can't believe it until you hear it from, from their mouth. You know, you, you hear hearsay, but until you actually hear it, it's, it's hard to believe what they're seeing and, and what they're going through mentally. You know, they're not just trying to protect our border. They're, they're processing these people. They're, they're humanitarian. They're, they're trying to take care of them when they get, get them in their custody, trying to protect them at the same time. Just so many things going on down there that they should not be dealing with. Yeah, you know, I think the mental health aspect of the Border Patrol are dealing with people who a lot of them, these people coming north have been, you know, abused sexually and physically. Yep. Um, the young kids that they're mm-hmm. dealing with, they get abandoned. Um, the human toll of the human trafficking that happens by having a wide open border is it, just devastating. These people are dealing with this every single day, and yet... It's sadly that the rate of suicide among our border patrol agents, it, it's just unacceptably high. Oh, it, it's, it's taking a toll on them. You know, it's bad. Like you said, the things that they're seeing, they should not have, they should not be dealing with. You know, they should be, they're tasked with protecting our border and keeping people from coming in. That's what they're supposed to be doing. They can't do that because they're processing people all day. They can't get out there and protect the border like, like they're trained to do. It's just, a, like you said, the humanitarian part of this is, is very sad the, on both sides, you know, for the migrants, the guys, the, the people that are coming across is what they're having to deal with. And also our agents having to deal with it all. Yeah. And that, you know, at least my point has been, look, what you're doing by signaling. And again, the president did this at the State of the Union. This is my opinion by saying that, you know, we need comprehensive immigration reform. It's just signaling to the people, hey, come across the border. Eventually yeah. we'll get you amnesty. Go ahead mm-hmm. and take the risk because we're not going to deport you. It's well, it's open. Yeah. Come on in now. And then they form this relationship with these these drug cartels, 
and it's human trafficking. That's what it is. That's all it is. You know, it's, it's obvious to everyone. I guess if you're not in the administration, you're obvious as to what's going on to, to everyone. But they don't care. You know, they're just going to keep pushing their policies. And, and you know, the, the overwhelming thing I've heard from the from the from the border agents is the policies are what's putting us in this position. It's not it's not yeah. what we're doing. They, they're doing their jobs. They're trying to enforce the policies that are in place for them from our government. That's all they can do. You know, they can do their jobs because they work for the government. All they can do is enforce the policies that are in place and the policies aren't working. That's all there is to it. So they can't they can't do anything uh, beyond their control because the policies won't let them. Yeah. We're talking to Brian Erlocker, who played uh, 13 years in the NFL. You've got some, but there's a really neat initiative. Some former NFL players, along with yourself, are going down to the border and meeting with these Border Patrol agents. Tell us a little bit more. I think uh, the notes that I'm seeing about this, uh, they've had five trips down there. You've been on two of them. Uh, yeah. what, what are the players doing? What are they saying? Um, and what's happening when you go down there? I think we're just trying to give them some support, you know, to let them know that not everyone is against them. You know, the stuff you see in the media is not really what was portrayed with people who already know what's going on. We uh, we support them. I think that's the number one thing is trying to let them know that we uh, we care that they're doing what they're doing and we want to support them and spend as much time with them as we can. But they're maybe just trying to get their 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 spirit up a little bit, honestly, as well, to let them know that we, we do care. But, yeah, we, we got to spend – the first time, I think we were there for like eight hours, six to eight hours, um, just hanging out with them. The second time we went around um, – I want to say it was around Christmas. Yeah, we were around Christmas, and we hung out. Like I said, we, we met a bunch of people that cooked for us. Uh, we had lunch with three or four different crews. It was it's fun, you know, just to get a chance to meet with them and, and, like I said, talk with them, not just about the border, about life and, you know, football yeah. mostly for me. But right. uh, it's really cool to, to meet – and they're from, they're from everywhere. You know, they're from all over the country, so it's nice to get their, their view on, on certain things that are going on as well. And yeah, you know, <laughs> when I was in Congress, I went down there multiple times. And it, it, one time I um, told them, you know, I, look, guys, don't because I'm in Congress, I don't need like, you know, the nice suburban with the air conditioning. I want to see yeah. it like you see it. So I saw some mm-hmm. ATVs and I said, you know, I own an ATV. And it, this was at night um, down there. Um, and they they said, oh, really, you want to ride with us? And the, oh my gosh, I you know I I have ridden an ATV. I I, I know how to ride, okay, but yeah. not like these guys know how to ride. They took me on the ride of my life. I mean, we were going so fast, and we were chasing guys that were bringing drugs across the border. We had to get off, hike up this big hill, up this rocky mountain, chasing these guys. We eventually did get the drugs, um, and it was one of the craziest nights of my life. What they so and they do this little, every day. You got like the the real good stuff. So I got I got some of that too. I got to ride on the boats up and down the Colorado River, and then they took us on this dune buggy that yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't care to get on again. Honestly, <laughs> we may or may not have. Went, yeah, I still got sand coming out of certain places in my body from this dune buggy ride. But uh, yeah, we were going faster than we should have been going. But that's what they do. You know, they they live on the edge there when they're trying to get the drugs and get these these traffickers. That's what they have to do. So it was a little stressful for me, but they uh, they enjoy it. No, I I was I, I saw that they had horses. I said I I know how to ride. They're, and then they talked <laughs> yeah. to me some more, and they're like, you know, you don't know how to ride like we ride. You, you going yeah, through the ride, cactus in the desert, chasing people. Yeah, the, yeah, that's that's some real cowboy stuff. I'm telling. Yeah, I can I can jump on the back of a horse and just trot, no problem. But you get those things running, it's a little different story for me. Yeah, through the saguaro cactus of southern Arizona. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I've had some run-ins with some saguaros too, living here in Arizona. Those aren't <laughs> on the golf course. Those aren't fun either. <laughs> oh, chasing balls off <laughs> off the course. Yeah, yeah. I've actually fallen off my mountain bike into a few cactuses. That's uh, that's not fun either. 
<laughs> well, you've uh, look, you, you you provided a lot of great football along the way. For those of us that are football fans, um, what you did, Brian, through the years, um, you, you had a really just an amazing career. And from somebody from the state of Utah who helped produce Jim McMahon, um, you guys, I mean, <laughs> we, we, there are a lot of Bears fans around here, I can tell you that. I appreciate it. There's a lot of Bears fans throughout the country. It's amazing. When we, when we played road games, we always had good turnout. And my, my reason is because people wanted to get out of the cold in Chicago and move other places. That's why I always thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no <laughs> problem. Cold weather. No problem there. All right, tell us a little bit about the Super Bowl. What are your thoughts? I mean, we got two great teams coming together. This should be a good game yeah. by all accounts. Yeah, I'm excited. You know, I'm, I'm a huge um, Andy Reid fan. I played for Coach Reid at the, a couple Pro Bowls my, when I was young. My first two or three years, he coached us in the Pro Bowl. Uh, the special teams coach for Kansas City was my special teams coach in Chicago for nine years. So I got a little connection there. Plus, they have the best quarterback in the NFL. Uh, but Philly's just finding a way to win games, and they're winning big. You know, I, I do feel like the NFC was a little bit down this year when it couldn't come to the the strength of conference when you look at AFC compared to NFC. But, I, you know, these games I always hope for good games. You know, you know, you don't really want to blow out. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I see the Chiefs pulling this one out, honestly. I think, I think Mahomes and his experience and Coach Reed, I think they're going to find a way to get it done. Well, we're talking to Brian Erlocker. Appreciate you. Um, listen, I appreciate you on the field. Really appreciate guys who off the field also just get involved and engaged in their community. And that's obviously what you've done. You did it throughout your career and to go down and take your personal time um, and bring other NFL guys with you and, and talk to those people down at the border patrol. They'll never forget it. They'll always remember it. And it's an important thing to do. And, and uh, I think we can all support our border patrol, pray for them, think about them, for sure. help them when we can. Cause they really, every day they're doing the, they put their lives on the line and they're doing an incredibly yep. difficult job. They are. They really are. I appreciate you having me on your show, Jason. Thank you. Appreciate it. Brian Erlocker. And uh, thanks for joining us. We're going to be right back. Uh, stay with us. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Well, we were just talking to Brian Urlacher, uh, one of the great NFL players uh, out there. And you know what? Seems like an incredible guy off the field, too. Spending his time, taking time, going down, working with the Border Patrol. who have one of the most difficult jobs uh, out there. And, you know, it does have to be a bit demoralizing, does have to be a bit frustrating when the president of the United States and the vice president, Kamala Harris, spend almost zero time getting to understand the problem in the situation and are complicit, I believe, my personal opinion, in exacerbating the situation and inviting more illegal immigration with borders that are wide open. The catch and release program that they have in place, the uh, attitude and the approach that they have. And I think the president's State of the Union made it crystal clear that he does not get, nor does he understand what's going on at the border. And if he does, which would be even worse, he's making the situation worse because he's making, um, he's giving rewards and incentives to continue to break the law. You know, if you're going to go claim asylum, you're supposed to do it at the port of entry. But the drug cartels have figured out that they can clog up uh, and uh, get everybody moving in the wrong direction by pouring these migrants 
across the border, not at the port of entry. Therefore, having to tie them up, and then they take their high-valued clients, their high-valued uh, people, people that we know, some of which are terrorists, some of which are carrying drugs. The whole president's the president's approach to fentanyl and and the you know he cited statistics about the number of people that died. He said seventy thousand. I've seen north of a hundred thousand people, people dying every day from fentanyl. And you know what? Guess how it gets here, Mr. President? Your wide open border policy. Listen to them. Listen to the president from the State of the Union. Cut twenty two. We now have a record number of personnel working to secure the border arresting 8,000 human smugglers, seizing over 23,000 pounds of fentanyl in just the last several months. We've launched a new border plan last month. Unlawful migration from Cuba, Haiti, Nicaragua, and Venezuela has come down 97 percent as a consequence of that. But American border problems won't be fixed until Congress acts. That's not true, Mr. President. That's just not true. Enforce the current law. Stop doing everything you can to open up these borders. Just today, they said they're going to stop using surveillance balloons. These are the balloons that go up and give intelligence to our people on the ground so you can see where people are coming. It's infrared technology. They can see people at night. They can see people at day. Why are you taking that down? That's an important tool. And when they are, listen, if you don't come through a port of entry and you're here illegally crossing the border, under the current law, you're supposed to be detained, incarcerated, fined, and deported. That never happens under the Biden administration. They do not do that, folks. That's the current law. So enforce the current law, Mr. President. Listen to the president here on Cut 23. If we don't pass my comprehensive immigration reform, at least pass my plan to provide the equipment and officers to secure the border. And a pathway to citizenship for dreamers, those on temporary status, farm workers, essential workers. No, Mr. President, no. If you pass comprehensive immigration reform, that doesn't secure the border. If you provide citizenship for the so-called dreamers and uh, temporary status workers, farm workers, and essential workers, you give them a pass too, does that lock down the border? No, it doesn't. What you're actually signaling to the people who are thinking about leaving their country of origin, and they come from about 150 different countries, by the way. It's not just Mexico or Guatemala, something like that. Most of the people that come maybe come from Central and South America, but they're coming from 150 uh, countries. Just the last few days, uh, Chinese nationals were coming north. So if you're saying you're going to do all that, guess what? You're signaling, come across, come right now. You're not going to get detained. That's what's fundamentally wrong with the president's approach and why he's making things worse. And then you have like this, Katie Porter, the congresswoman from California, listen to her comment, cut 25. So what we've seen from my colleagues is um, tweets that say, you know, over 800 pounds of fentanyl seized. This is Biden's border crisis. That's a tweet from Rep Stefanik. To me, the fact that you're seizing these drugs is a success. So I, I think that there's, an, there's a need here to acknowledge the successful work that you're doing. Congratulations, the successful work. And we are proud of the Border Patrol when they do seize and capture this. But you know what? You need to prevent it in the first place. 
if you listen to any one of the 20 plus thousand border patrol agents, they will tell you how to secure the border. Can you name another set of federal workers where they don't ever get listened to? where they will routinely tell you, their leadership will tell you time and time and time and time again, you're not enforcing the law, you're not allowing us to do our jobs. You know, it was malpractice. The Democrats had the House, the Senate, and the presidency. For two years, the Congress never did a hearing on the border, the border crisis, or on fentanyl. How can you not have a hearing about this? And what they're telling us is you need to lock down that border. And there is a way to lock down that border that is humane. What they don't understand, what they don't appreciate in the Biden-Harris administration is that what they're doing is human trafficking, drug trafficking, and it's cruel. It's inhumane. We've had over 1,500 people that we know die trying to come across that border. If it was secure, if the drug cartels knew they couldn't get past, it wouldn't happen. We were doing that. Biden and Harris changed it. Now it's wide open. Now we have this fentanyl crisis. Now we have human trafficking. Now we have all of these problems at the border. And it was because of the Biden-Harris policies that did that. I'm Jason Chaffetz filling in for Brian Kilmeade. Thanks for listening. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Well, it's the Brian Kilmeade Show, but I'm Jason Chaffetz filling in for Brian. Brian's on his way to the Super Bowl. Going to be one of the best Super Bowls out there. I think Kansas City Chiefs and uh, Philadelphia Eagles uh, playing on Sunday. It's going to be an epic ma- epic uh, game, and uh, Brian's on his way there, so he's letting me fill in, and uh, I'm thrilled to be uh, have somebody on the line that I really, really like. One of my favorite guys out there in politics, Jeff Landry. He's the uh, Louisiana Attorney General. He's going to be, uh, he's a candidate for governor there in uh, Louisiana. I served with him in the United States Congress, and I'm just telling you, folks, this guy knows how to cook. When I think of Jeff Landry, um, he he was renting this house, correct me if I'm wrong, and you would make the best food, and we would go over and say, like, hey, where are we going to eat tonight? Let's go over to Jeff's. I bet he's got good food. And we'd go over to Jeff Landry's house, and sure enough, you had good food. Oh, it was great. You remember that uh, Steve Southern uh, had that, that that was an apartment that Steve had as well. Uh, we would invite everybody over. Sometimes I'd bring friends and have them flown in. We'd have food, you know, all of the ingredients shipped in from Louisiana. You know, Washington, D.C. can be a very cold place in the winter. And, and we all know, I don't know if the town has a functioning snowplow when it starts snowing. And so I just figured, you know, Jason, it was just a great way to just all of us get together and get a little bit of good Cajun food. You know, it's, it's hard not to find a little taste of Louisiana on any menu around the country, but it, it was great. Look, I, I, I can tell you, I, I tell people all the time, I serve with some of the greatest people like yourself uh, in Congress during that time. And it, it was great. And look, you're welcome to come back to Louisiana anytime. I cook as often as they'll let me at my camp. We cook all kind of different things. Um, so you're welcome to come come down. Bring the whole Fox crew with you. Oh, that would be so fun. I know you do a gator hunt and you do stuff like that. And I'm telling you, 
I don't know how you're not 450 pounds because I would go over there and eat <laughs> so much food. But uh, you're slim, trim, fit, and uh, you're doing some great things as the Attorney General. I'm really impressed of what you've done. You have not shied, a, uh, shied away from some of the biggest fights out there, and um, glad you're so engaged. Well, I can tell you, you know, I mean, you know, uh, Congress uh, can be a pretty dysfunctional institution. And when I had an opportunity to run for and then ultimately serve as the attorney general, I realized that, unfortunately, a lot of policy is being shaped in the courts. It's, it's not the way it's supposed to be, but that's the way it is today. Um, Louisiana, we built an unbelievable team. I got a solicitor general. We appointed the first solicitor general in Louisiana, Liz Muro. Uh, as our solicitor general, her and her team do a fantastic job. In fact, I saw some rankings the other day. I think Louisiana is number one in suing the Biden administration and winning. Um, I mean, from the censorship case that we've got going on uh, to, to, to forcing them to have federal offshore lease sales uh, to improve our domestic energy portfolio uh, to the Title 42 case, which we're going to immigration case, which, which we are going to be at the United States Supreme Court, uh, literally in about 28 days. Um, and, and, you know, we were, we were at the tip of the spear on the OSHA uh, and CMS vaccine mandate case. Uh, so it's been fun. It's been absolutely fun. And I, and I get to get on the radio with great friends, great people like you. Well, thank you. Now, let's dive a little bit deeper here. Tell us a little bit more because you, your, your lawsuit, your you were the, kind of one of the first people to get out there along with the, uh, I believe it was the attorney general in Missouri to get after this uh, big tech censorship, what's going on. What have you learned so far and why should Americans even care about this? Yeah, oh, they should really care about it. And I'll tell you why. Yeah, you are right. This, this suit was initiated by myself and then attorney general Eric Schmidt, who's now, by the way, a U.S. Senator. Right. Um, and, and, it, 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 it is what I believe the most important First Amendment case in this century, uh, because this is a question of whether the government was actively involved in suppressing the speech of Americans on social platforms. Now, we know that we don't have a, a First Amendment right when we deal with private individuals and private corporations, right? But if the government entices, forces, colludes with a private person or a private corporation to do that which they could not ordinarily do, then that is a violation that knows, that knows the private citizen or the corporation, then become an arm of the government, and then it's a violation of the First Amendment. And, Lord, you, the things that we have found, it's been unbelievable. We know. We know now that the CDC was holding monthly censorship meetings with Facebook, okay? We know that when Dr. Anthony Fauci spoke, American speech was censored. We also know now, through the discovery, that the White House, this, this went all the way up to the top, okay? And here's the scary part for everyone listening out there. It did not matter whether you are a Republican or a Democrat. We have the evidence that showed that the White House even censored Robert Kennedy's post. Now, look, think about that for a second. Just kind of step back. 
Right? We know we know that that active engagement is in, in trying to muzzle conservatives out there, Republicans, right? Right. But here we have a gentleman who is the son of the former U.S. attorney, who is the nephew of a former president of the United States and nephew of a former U.S. senator. And the White House is saying, we have to take his post down. We got, we got to throttle it back. We caught them throttling back Tucker Carlson's post over 50%. I mean, the reach, and it wasn't just in, during COVID. We know they did it on the Hunter Laptop uh, story, the Hunter Biden Laptop story. We know they did it in the elections. I mean, there is no reach by which this government has gone about trying to squelch or silence Americans. And that should really, I mean, that should really scare people out there because the First Amendment was placed there specifically to allow a free society. If you, if we don't have a right to be heard, a right to disagree, a right to question our government and our elected officials, then we are not citizens anymore. We're really subjects. Well, and you know what bothers me about this, too, is that Congress is a past, before you and I were serving, passed this so-called Section 230, which gave them limitations on liability on what was posted up there. So my my question for the FBI, who's you know the hearings that were going on at Capitol Hill this week, what what law do you think was being broken? Like what what law? And, and if there were laws being broken by misusing Twitter, um, how many people have you charged? I mean, who's gone to jail? If this they put dozens and dozens and dozens of agents onto this. And yet I want to know, well, what law was being broken? Because instead of trying to find the murderer of those, uh, you know, those four uh, young people in Idaho or maybe dealing with the Chinese spies that are are prevalent around the country doing intellectual property theft and everything else. Like how many other places could you use FBI agents? What are the opportunity costs? What laws do you think were being broken by using Twitter to go out there and say, you know, um, I don't think I'm going to get the vaccine. Well, how about concentrating on a porous border under which fentanyl <laughs> is pouring through the border? Yeah. Human trafficking is prevalent at the southern border. How about reining in the cartels? And yet we have the FBI, the DOJ, the CDC, the White House. Um, uh, I mean, you name it, the NIAID, um, the DHS. Department of Homeland Security censoring American speech. I mean, I mean, just hey, think about how about I mean, how about this? How about the scourge of people going to you know school board meetings and expressing concerns about what their kids are reading? Obviously, we need the FBI on that issue. But what law did they think was being broken? And if they put so many agents on it, how many arrests did they have? I think that's a legitimate, Whoa. simple, easy question. But there was no law. There was they. This Twitter was exempt from from any liability. Right. Well, I, I would tell you this: the only the only violation that occurred was basically the government violating Americans' free speech. Yeah. And so, so the, if, if any laws were broken, it was on the other side. Uh, look, uh, you know, one of the things that is going to be interesting about this case, you know, Jason, you, you, you know, you, you, you've been around the law plenty of times, but I'm interested to see because 
If we're able to prove our case, the question then is, Beg, is whether or not these actions give rise to what's called a Bevins action, right? So that's when when the government, and you normally see this in the law enforcement side, when they violate your first, I mean, like say your uh, Fourth Amendment right, right, search and seizure, then the government, the courts have held that the government can be liable for that violation. Well, if, 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 if the government violates your First Amendment, the question is whether or not it doesn't give rise to Bevin's action as well. I mean, and just think about that. Think about the amount of people right. that have been censored, have been squelched, have been silent, just for really just putting out their own opinion, expressing their feelings and trying to have – the Internet was supposed to be the greatest thing because it was supposed to connect us and give us an opportunity to debate in the marketplace of ideas. We were going to connect people more. This was going to help us to have – Good, robust debates create in, uh, you know, ingenuity and, and technology, and just it was connect, it was going to be the greatest. What it has turned out to be is literally one of potentially one of the biggest chains out there to imprison a free society because these big tech platforms. And you talk about Section 230. I don't believe. I'll tell you right now, as a as a lawyer, I don't think that Section 230 is as broad as they claim it is to be. I mean, I, you know, I'm waiting for somebody to try it in the courts. Hmm. But at the end of the day, these big tech platforms are basically controlling a virtual public square. Who goes into it? Who goes out of it? What's debated inside of it? And that's the danger behind all of this. And look, this case is going to continue uh, to show the American people all of the things that they said, many people were con- that were conspiracy theories and, you know, just I can't believe they're saying it. They wanted to send us off to some psychiatric ward. What we're finding today is that it's, we were right and they were hiding. They were then they were wrong. Yeah. They knew what they were the, doing. They were just hiding it. Yeah, the origins of COVID and 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 that whole discussion. I, I'm hoping that there's a a civil suit out there because I think it's been uh, a problem and it's sort of an FTC type of problem, a federal trade commission where they go out and say, look, you have this many followers and you can follow these people. But if they're going to suppress that and not allow me to follow the people that I, they tell me I'm going to follow and not allow the people that are following me to actually see the posts that I put up, then guess what? You're lying to me. That is that oh. you couldn't get away with that on a box of cereal. I mean, I pick up a box of Wheaties and and it says that oh the the Wheatie is not actually as big as depicted on this you know and be careful like if they have to do those kind of warnings on cereal boxes, don't tell me how many followers I have and how many people <laughs> I'm following. You telling me that that's being truthful and honest? Look, I could go all day with you. Um, we have to go to our commercial break. Um. We've been talking to Jeff Landry. He's the Louisiana Attorney General. He is a rising star in so many fronts. Candidate for governor. I want to if they if I get a chance to guest host again, I want to bring you on and talk about all the good things you could do as a governor. I think you'd be an amazing, amazing governor because I know how hard you work. You care about the people of Louisiana, and you just got this common sense to you that I think we need more of in government across the board. So. I wish you nothing but the best. It's always fun to chat with you, and I wish it was in person because I know we'd go get a good meal. I can promise you that. Oh, we would. We would. We would. And, look, we thank you. If, if people are interested, they can check us out at jefflandry.com. Join the team. Very good. Uh, Jeff Landry, the attorney general there from Louisiana, thanks for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll be right back. 
Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. One of the things Republicans say is a priority for them is investigating your family, your son Hunter, your brother Jim. They talk about uh, uh, access that they say others have gotten because of you, because of your political success. How do you how do you plan to to deal with that? public's not going to pay attention to that. They, they want these guys to do something. If the only thing they can do is make up things about my family, it's not going to go very far. Oh, Mr. President, the interview with uh, PBS's uh, Judy Woodruff. Um, <laughs> you're living in fantasy land if you think that the public's not paying attention to this. Uh, the second part of it is Congress is paying attention to it. Because there are those of us that are concerned that you're compromised, that you have been using public office to enrich your family and yourself personally. And there's an awful lot of evidence out there. And you may try to poo-poo it away and and hope that nobody's paying attention um, and that it's not going to go very far. But there are a lot of unanswered questions. One of the recent ones that many people didn't even see is, um, Joe Biden took out a, in December, the report is, took out a line of credit on his um, one of his homes. Um, why? Well, he's a sitting president. He's making $400,000, essentially has no expenses. And yet he went out and took a, uh, I think it was a $250,000 line of credit on his home. What was, what's that all about? Like, what's that for? It, some are guessing, and it's a pure 100% guess, okay? Does it have to do with Hunter and the fact that he may have some real tax problems? Remember, uh, Team Hunter Biden has already foreshadowed that there may potentially be some taxes that weren't paid along the way. Um, how is it that the president lives and you know has a beach house in these multi-million dollar homes, and yet his wife is supposedly a school teacher and... Um, he has, uh, you know, been on a government salary pretty much his whole life. Now, he had a couple years there recently where he was the former vice president, could have done a book, got a deal with uh, the University of Pennsylvania, had lucrative speaking engagements, but he had these houses well before that. How do you have that on making $175,000 a year and also having to house in, in Washington, D.C. Like, how do you buy multi-million dollar homes? Why is it, Mr. President, that, um, you know, we have emails from the laptop, for instance, from Louis Free, the former FBI director, uh, to Hunter Biden saying, hey, thanks for the referral for the business out of Romania. By the way, I'm going to put $100,000 into one of your, in some of your kids or grandkids' account um and uh as a thank you for the business and oh by the way uh hunter please tell your dad how much i appreciate it. look forward to doing business with them in the future why is it that a hundred thousand dollars ended up in the biden's account um you know these are things that matter and by the way why did you bring uh mr cooper one of hunter biden's business partners on air force two when you went to do business in uh, mexico what was that all about a lot of unanswered questions. If the president thinks he's just going to go away and, and people aren't going to pay attention, uh, the Republicans in Congress will. 
I'm Jason Chaffetz. Stay with us. More to come. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, this is Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Brian. Brian's on his way to the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is going to be epic this year. I mean, one of the two of the greatest teams. I, I really do feel like two of the very best teams ended up there in the Super Bowl. I don't think one team's going to blow out the other. This is going to be hard defensive battle. you got great quarterbacks coming into the game. Um, wonderful coaches um, that are uber smart and will come up with something creative. Um, I'm just looking forward to the Super Bowl. It's on Sunday, and Brian Kilmeade's going to be down there for all the coverage leading up to it. Um, and so I'm filling in for him. Uh, again, I'm Jason Chaffetz, and, and uh, we got a great guest coming on now. I haven't spent a lot of time talking to him, but I've uh, admired his work from afar. He's a New York Post writer. Uh, John Levine. John, thanks so much for joining us here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thank you for having me, Jason. No, I appreciate it. Now, again, maybe this is a little too personal. Maybe this is a little too... Um, We're know, getting right into it. Okay. Getting right into it, you know. I, but I, I, having read what you write, what did you think of that big, wet kiss that the First Lady engaged in at the... First, at the that was weird. That, I mean, look, I don't... I'm not – look, I'm a very – I'm a live free or die person. I think people should should live their lives, and I just – it was weird. I don't know what that was, and I, I hazard to even speculate, <laughs> but um, it was weird. You know, do you want to know? It almost reminded me of that if – you, if you remember that Al Gore, Tipper Gore kiss at the DNC. <laughs> like, and everyone was and – and they were married, obviously. This is not <laughs> the same situation, but it was like – it was just the awkwardness and the like. I could you could kind of feel everyone watching television, and be like, "Uh, what was I that?" I don't know. And I, I don't know what it was. I, you know, I've been married uh, thirty-one years. Um, yeah. And I see my wife in public. You know, I give her a little kiss on the cheek or a little, you know, right. give her a hug and something. I don't think I've ever engaged in a kiss with somebody else's wife on the lips right it, it's, it was especially weird. with all the cameras rolling but even behind the scenes i, that, so I have a theory too which is yeah. that joe biden has no idea that that happened <laughs> because I, I, no the doubt media he consumes isn't going to report it yeah, yeah. who's going to tell the president that one who's going to tell him <laughs> it's, it's there's no like there's who's going to be the town crier on that one yeah, so well, I, I i think he i bet you he doesn't know I, I think it was kind of creepy, and um, I don't know. I, I just it's just never happened to me, and it's not like any either of them turned to the side. They they both went for it, right. and yeah, it was just right there for everybody to see. Yeah, so. you're, you're you're open up with the really hard hitters this morning. Very it's very <laughs> intimate, personal stuff. All right, so let's get to some other stuff. I got I got a couple topics I'd love to go through with you. Um, I want to play this clip 11. This is Jamie Raskin, who's the ranking member now on the uh, Oversight Committee. Um, and he's thinking that, you know, these concerns about big tech censorship and, you know, what happened at the New York Post and getting censored there, that's not a big deal. It's just a distraction. Clip 11. We return not to focus on advancing this robust agenda of progress, but instead to take up an authentically trivial pursuit all based on the obsessive victimology of right-wing politics in America. The majority has called a hearing to revisit a two-year-old story 
about a private editorial decision by Twitter not to allow links to a single New York Post article made for a two-day period that had no discernible influence on anyone or anything. What's your take on that, John? I mean, Democrats are going to try to Democrat this, right, and try to minimize it and make it seem trivial and unimportant, but it's not. I mean, we're talking about freedom of speech in this country, and do Americans have a right to free expression in this country? Does the free press have a right to operate unimpeded? And what is the appropriateness of the federal government and the intelligence agencies leaning on a private company to shut down the press in the middle of a contentious presidential election? And these, these are you know, he's trying to trivialize this. Oh, it was a, a, a simple thing two years ago. It speaks to the foundation of a lot of stuff in our country and how we operate. And it is much more than just you know a, a, an editorial decision Twitter made. And thankfully, we have the Twitter files now, so we know so much more than when we would get these. You know, when when social media executives would come to testify before Congress in the past. You know, members of Congress were asking questions with one arm tied behind their back because we really didn't know what was going on internally at the company. Now we do, thanks to the Twitter files. And there's just so much that these people need to answer for. And it was I thought it was kind of a mixed bag yesterday, truthfully, but I'm, I'm glad it happened. No, and I hope it's not the end of it. It's, it shouldn't be just a one and done. It, if you go back and look at uh, some of the Twitter files as released uh, released by Schellenberger, um, it, you, what you'll see um, is that a lot of these big tech uh, groups were engaging not only with uh, former Department of Justice officials, but other, you know, from the Washington Post, the New York Times. They all role played this back in August uh, of that year. What if there was a story um, that we wanted to have suppressed? How would we deal with it? What would we do? And it is really absolutely stunning that they tabletopped this. They they foreshadowed right. it. They practiced it. And then when it dropped, they knew exactly what to do. And that's why they were all in unison. Because not only did they get the suppression on Twitter, which we now have evidence on, thanks to Elon Musk, but none of these other networks were running it. And don't say that it was a one-day story or two days or whatever. The New York Post is, you know. Was the fourth right. largest newspaper in the country, and, and it wasn't for just a day or two. Right, and is it so surprising they were doing these tabletop exercises, the the FBI and the intelligence community, when we know that they had access to the hard drive? The the computer repairman gave the FBI a copy of the hard drive in 2019. Yeah, they, they knew it was had real. To the hard drive from Rudy Giuliani, because they were monitoring him for an unrelated investigation. They had they access. Knew to it was real. They knew so they it knew, was real. They knew it was real. They knew it was going around, and they tried to kind of, you know, kill it before it could be born. And that's why they kept sort of priming the pump at Twitter. For example, if there's a Hunter Biden story, if there's some kind of Hunter Biden story, and you know, we didn't even this didn't even come up that much, but it should have. Yoel Roth. It was was talking about how, oh, my God, there were so many Russians on the platform, Russians here, Russians there, left and right. But if you look at the Twitter files, it was the FBI and the federal government that kept pressing Twitter to find evidence of Russian activity. And the companies – employees at the company internally couldn't find it, and they kept – and it was the feds that kept saying, go back and keep looking, go back right. and keep looking. Right. And so the, 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 it, is, it is a complete myth. That you had millions of Russian accounts, you know, behind every behind every you know issue in America. There was a there was a company 
uh, I forget the name of the company, but the guy's name is Clint Watts. He's an MSNBC contributor. And one of the Twitter files talked about how that company, all they did was ascribe Russian motivation to different hashtags and different news events. Literally thousands of articles generated across the news ecosystem blaming Russia for everything comes to this one group founded by Clint Watts. And it was bogus. And Twitter executives internally talked about how there was no major Russia interference problem on the platform. It, can, it is a story that will not die, that Twitter is, is infiltrated by Russians top to bottom. Yeah. It's and, not. And, and, and for people like Jamie Raskin to encourage people to just bury their head when they're, you know, Twitter's exempt from liability issues. What law do they think was being broken? And if the FBI had to put these dozens upon dozens upon dozens of, of agents on it, then why didn't they charge anybody? Was anybody, did anybody break the law? I mean, that's can, what's absurd about it. Can you imagine if Twitter had censored the New York Times reporting about Trump's tax returns and prevented people from sharing right. it and shut down the New York Times Twitter account for two weeks? In the yeah. middle of a presidential election in October, do, what would Jamie Raskin say about that? Do I even have to finish that sentence? Yeah. No. Yeah, anyway. All right. Look, I want to get your take on another thing. Um, it, this comes from the Wall Street Journal reporting. It's really, uh, really from uh, Larry Turner. Larry Turner is the inspector general at the Department of Labor. It kind of exposing that there were some 191 billion dollars of inappropriate payments um, made on the 888 billion dollars that went out the door for unemployment insurance or unemployment fraud imagine more than 20 percent of what went out the door was paid improperly let's go to cut 35 and listen to larry turner the ig for the department of labor as the oig reported States were not prepared to process the historic volume of claims, resulting in significant delays. Initial reliance on claimant self-certification rendered the PUA program extremely susceptible to fraud, and the unprecedented infusion of federal funds gave fraudsters a high-value target to exploit. So we hear people talking all the time that they want more money, roads, bridges, schools, infrastructure, all that. The president talks about taxes, the need to increase taxes all the time. And, and you know, but they can't manage the money. They do have $191 billion inappropriately given out for unemployment insurance. Right. Right. That's honestly, I thought it would be higher there. I mean, you, you remember 2020, 2021. It was, it was wild west. Like there was so much federal money going out the door for, for, for various programs. And I, I get it. We shut down the economy. So business owners were told they couldn't go to work. They couldn't open their businesses. They couldn't pay their employees. There needed to be some kind of lifeline. But it was, it was just – it was the Wild West. And so much money went out the door. Fraudsters took advantage of so much. And it's sad because, as you said, there are critical infrastructure projects that could have gone to – or, you know, it couldn't have it, we might have just not spent it at all and, you know, maybe not add to the thirty trillion dollar debt that we have. Yeah, or um, the military or something that would actually you know what bothers me about this, John, is that nobody will be fired. No the federal employees are all gonna get raises. They're they're right. nobody's gonna be held accountable for this. And what also bothers me, having been in Congress for eight and a half years and participated in I don't know how many hearings on TARP 
Remember when right. TARP came along, we had the hearings because there was so much fraud and abuse then. And supposedly all these government workers and agencies were going to fix these problems so right. that the next time this came around, it wouldn't happen. But you know what? It got worse, not better. And nobody will get fired, right. lose their job or be held accountable. And at least with TARP, those banks paid the money back with right. interest. Right. People right. always forget about that with TARP. We're not. We're, we're a lot of this money that we went out with with COVID relief money. We're never going to see that again. It's well, just so much of it went overseas. Yeah, it's it's gone forever. It's gone forever. Well, I I think that number you mentioned it being you know potentially bigger. I think it is bigger because you have the social the um, uh, Secret Service saying that they estimate over a hundred billion dollars was inappropriately uh, done. And and again, we're talking about just one program. That wasn't right. the only program that was going out the door there. So, you know, uh, it is hundreds of billions of dollars wasted, just absolutely. And now the government wants more of our taxpayer dollars. Go into further debt. It's just debt. unfathomable. At, at yeah. a certain point, these numbers are not comprehensible to, like, normal humans. It's yeah. like $100 billion, $100 trillion, a gazillion million, bajillion. And I think that's <laughs> part of the problem is we don't – it, it's it's no one no one's held accountable because it's really no one's money. I mean, it's the American people's money, but there's no single person on the hook, and th- there is there is no mechanism to hold people accountable, really, which is no, the problem. That that it, you're absolutely right. That is the problem. All right, uh, last question I want to talk to you about is the Super Bowl. I don't know if you have a dog in the fight, but it is a big deal. It is going to be I'm on neutral. Fox on Sunday. I am you're... I am neutral. Don't you even dare try to get me to take a side because I'm not. <laughs> I hope the best team wins. Because <laughs> you're like a Jets fan, and it's going to be a while till you actually go to the Super Bowl, or what? Yeah, when when the, when the Jets play, then I'll take a side. Well, I'm a Raiders fan, and so it's going to be a while. Um, you know, I kind of grew up and I was born in California, lived in the, on the West Coast, and you know now they're in Vegas, which is the closest thing we've got to Utah for for an NFL team. And it's going to be a while till the Raiders uh, get there. But that yeah. stadium, holy cow, that is an amazing. I think both stadium. teams are. Very good. As you said, very well matched. I'm sure it's going to be a great game, and I just I know the best team is going to win. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> the way, you know that the, the team that scores the most points is going to win? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> all right, we appreciate it. John Levine joining us, a New York Post writer. If you don't follow him and read what he writes, uh, you're missing uh, some great, great stuff. So look him up there at the New York Post. Uh, thanks for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Do appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right. We're going to be right back. Stay with us. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Looking at why the country's so divided, politically, culturally, what do you think? Why do you think? Well, I think it's a number of reasons. Number one, I think that uh, we, uh, um, there was a deliberate effort by the last guy to, uh, to play on people's fears and to uh, appeal to uh, base instincts. I mean, uh, and it, it just, it's not who we are. Boy, I got to tell you, Mr. President, I totally 100% disagree with you on that one. That was Judy Woodruff, PBS, interviewing the president. Uh, the president, you know, 
ask the question about how to unite the country, why are we divided, but how do you unite it is, and to say, well, it's all Trump's fault, is a pretty lame excuse. He ran on the idea that he could work with the right, he could work with the left, he could bring us together. What I've witnessed in the two years that the president has been in, in place there is that they have routinely divided America, divided us based on race, based on income, uh, based on location. They, they've, they've all, that's, I can think of nothing that he's done to help unite us and bring us together. You know, the, I think a case in point there is when the president of the State of the Union said that Republicans were trying to sunset, was the word he used, um, Medicaid, Medicare and Social Security. Nobody has ever suggested that. What he could have said is the positive version of that. We need to all work together to preserve, protect um, Social Security and Medicare. And virtually everybody would have stood up and applauded that. Because what Republicans have argued in those two uh, cases is that if you don't refine them, if you don't make alterations to fix them, they will run out of money and then we'll be in disastrous, disastrous times. That's what Republicans have said. Not taking away benefits from current uh, retirees or, or current people that get, that get the benefits from those programs or that they paid into. But for younger generations, you're going to have to make some adjustments. That is the responsible adult-like uh, way to approach that. But the president, again, chose to divide. I think he was baiting people there. And when the Judy Woodruff asked, how do we unite the country? Why are we so divided? He has no answer. Just like he has no plan for dealing with inflation, dealing with our energy prices, securing and locking down the border, or taking on China. Some of the basic, most important issues that I think people are asking themselves all the time. It's a missed opportunity. And I think the Democrats... Uh, have a long ways to go to help unite this country. Republicans have got to reach out their hand too, but it doesn't mean getting rid of your principles. I'm Jason Chaffetz, filling in for Brian Killed Me. It's been an honor to be with you. Thanks to Brian. Hope you enjoy the Super Bowl. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.